Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. That was so good, though. You know, you think about Sean Whalen and Ed Milet, uh, Andy Frisello. All three of those guys have really strong wives, at least how that's how they portray their wives. And so I don't doubt them, but their wives have to be so strong to allow them to do what they want to do. You know, uh, Ed Milet just interviewed his two his two kids or let his kids interview him on his his show. Yeah. And probably like, you know, probably 30, 40 percent of the time they talked about their mom, how their mom was like she's the she's the one behind the scenes she's the one helping out she's the one doing all these things to really help ed be successful but also kind of keep balance in their lives exactly exactly so yeah without a strong wife dude i'd say it's impossible but it definitely helps well that's what i think with any entrepreneur as well man you know like you especially in the beginning you're you're putting in long hours getting the thing off the ground and it's it definitely takes a spouse who's understanding and and sees what you see as far as dreams and goals, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're definitely expanding wow. that conversation because I mean, we've been through it, you know, we've been on food stamps. We know that, you know, I don't want to go, I know you guys got the question, so we'll definitely explore all of it. But just in regards to where we are today, looking back, we're like, oh crap. Like there are millions of couples that are where we are five years ago that have no idea the trauma that success has because most couples plan for failure. They don't plan for success. They plan for mm. if this doesn't work, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get a job. You're going to do this. I'll do that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the game yeah. plan it's more yeah. from the direction of, Hey, if this doesn't, but what if it does, what if you do start making millions of dollars? What if you do start having more exposure? What if you do your schedule goes from, I'm doing something once a week to literally every single day, people are calling on me, wanting me, Hey, how can I handle you becoming famous and me being a nobody? How do I handle like, those are the conversations that couples are not having because they don't know that that's what's on the cup of success is literally the moment you break into another level of exposure and success, your entire identity is called into question, your character, the amount of preparation you've put in to be able to handle the platform, which is why you see so many people come into success and literally lose their minds because they can't handle it. And they end up losing their minds or losing their souls or losing their spouse or losing their marriage. Something comes to sacrifice because success becomes the what I would say, the the God, you know what I'm saying? Like you just, you're, I mean, yeah. you're a God, it becomes a beast that just wants to be fed. And there's so much in that. So I, I just, yeah, guys, I, I mean, we, we're already kind of unpacking, but there's Shoot. definitely a lot in that. Man. We're on fire and I haven't even done the intro yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I haven't even pressed live on my, on my thing. Um, I pray that. Oh man, that would have been good. But, but yeah, man, I've learned so much as me and Natasha are just taking the time to dial back our journey, what we've went through, what we've experienced and now begin to put it into perspective of how do we now go do what Jude says, literally grab people from the fire, the gate, the gates of hell before you guys go down this path. Because if you do believe you're called to be successful, if you do believe you're called to do something great for God, I do believe we're in this crossover culture. When I say crossover, we believed 10 years ago, legitimately that the pulpit was the pinnacle of, you know, Christian success. Right. Like we believe that being a preacher, being a pastor, having a big church like that was like the holy grail of serving God. Even though we know not everybody's called to do it, we still had this 
we had this mindset of putting the pastor on the pedestal, right? But now if you look at our world today, bro, that stuff is not the same today. This generation does not see the pulpit or pastoring as like the pinnacle of Christian success or Christian servanthood. Bro, we got creators out here that got bigger names than pastors and people that are on YouTube. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just a whole different ball game. So being able to now separate what is ambition and what is selfish ambition is getting so hard today. What is, when I would say selfish, what is godly ambition and what is selfish ambition and how do you begin to make sense of all that in the world of where there's so much opportunity to truly be able to make a lot of money, but also have a lot of impact? I think back in the day, if you're going to go full time ministry, you were accepting that you were not going to make a lot of money. It was like, yo, I'm going full time ministry. I'm about to be a pastor. I'm serving a local church. I'm OK that I'm going to be probably making 40, 50 K for the rest of my life. But my upside is I'm about to affect the kingdom in a huge way. But today, that's not the same conversation. You literally can have huge upside in the kingdom and make huge waves of serving people while also huge ways and opportunities to make a lot of money, which is why I like this conversation with you guys, because I know y'all are believers and you're both in the marketplace. Same thing for me, but we both, I know Vince, I'm not sure about you, Christian, but I know Vince comes from a ministry background as well and, you know, serving and all those things. And so um, I think this is a cool conversation of just managing that ambition for success while also still being about the father's business. Bro, that's good. <laughs> we're on fire. We haven't even get started. Let me intro. Yeah, I mean, we're already in it, but I'll just we'll just go. Everyone, if you don't know our special guest today, he uh, he's a man that needs no introduction. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Jamal Miller. He is uh, I've known Jamal, dude, since I guess West Monroe back at First Assembly. I don't even know how many years ago, maybe 18 years, 19 years, something like that. Yeah, man. Jamal Miller is a multimillionaire. He has been featured on Forbes, HuffPost, CBM, and you name it. The dude's been on it. He's a co-founder of Married and Young, uh, which that and along with his other courses are multiple six and seven figure, maybe eight figure earning online courses. Is that right, Jamal? Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I'm Vince. I'm your host with my co-host, Christian. Christian, how are you today, sir? I'm doing very good. How are you guys? Good, man. I'm glad to have you, uh, Jamal. We're Thanks. excited to hear your uh, your story and all the good pointers you'll have, you'll have for us. Yeah, man, absolutely, bro. I'm excited to share. Yeah, it's going to be good. This is, you better grab a cup of coffee or uh, energy drink or whiskey, whatever you want, because this is about <laughs> to get hot. <laughs> all right, let's just get into it. Jamal, yeah, like Christian said, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy, and um, I really appreciate you being here and we value uh this time with you so thank you absolutely man i appreciate the opportunity um definitely excited to chat love the concept middle class and millionaires i think it's happening every day and that this is a opportunity for so many people to be able to jump into this game and be able to truly do something you know i would say that's a you know i would consider on the level of a miracle um because it was not something that our parents our parents parents were able to do so quickly to be able to attain large amounts of money and without having to have spent five, 10, 15 years, you know, um, you know, either in school or either in a career or doing something for a long period of time before you became good enough at it to where you can make a lot of money doing it. And I think today the game has shifted. The gatekeeper is gone. You have a huge opportunity to do some big things. And um, so I'm excited to chat with that. Yeah, that's so true. Me and Christian about, talk about this all the time, how there's really no excuse uh, in 2022 
not to be successful. Sure, you can have your ups and downs, but yeah. I mean, the world is our oyster. We have so many opportunities to make large amounts of money mm-hmm. or even obtain the net worth status. You know, like I don't make a lot of money, but I have um, a net worth status that, you know, I had a goal of achieving by the time I turned 35. Uh-huh. So like, yeah, sure, I'm not a actual seven-figure earner, but I have a seven-figure net worth, and it's, I'm just getting started, you know? So this this show was created for people like me and Christian. So when we started this show, two, I guess two and a half years ago, we were just middle-class dudes making, you know, like 40, 50. I don't know how much Christian made at his, his uh, warehouse job, but, you know, we were making under six figures. Yeah. We were doing all right, but we were working for the man, the nine-to-five. He and I just, I mean, Christian's so freaking driven. I think you're going to love this conversation with him too, but uh, we just knew that, hey, we wanted to start this podcast to help people get to the goal that we were going for, that now we've gone for, and that you've gone for. So let's just get right into it. Come on. What was it like growing up in the Miller home? Tell us tell us about your upbringing. Yeah, so, um, man, growing up, both my parents had been married before. So um, marriage-wise, there was just this, you know, you can still sense there was this, you know, they came, my parents came into marriage because of getting pregnant with me. So once they got pregnant with me, they decided to get married. Um, I come from just a, you know, hardworking home. Like both my parents, just extremely hardworking, extremely dedicated to just, you know, providing for us, you know, a lot of complications that I would definitely say every family experiences. But for me, my mom got saved once she got pregnant with me. And my dad never truly pressed himself into church. That just wasn't his thing. And, um, and man, I would definitely say, bro, like God's hand has just been on my life. And I just credit all of that to him. But I also do credit that I just listened. I obeyed at an early age, um, you know, about 16 years old, you know, major identity crisis, just truly growing up in the church, but not really having to do it at home, made it where I opportunity to really be a hypocrite, you know, where I go to church, say the thing, lift my hands, but then at home, it's not modeled, it's not enforced, it's not, um, you know, embraced. And it became where church just was really just a religion. There's a duty of steps in order to get to an expected end of not going to hell. There really was not a relationship. And that's when I would say about 16, I had a radical encounter with God due to making some really bad decisions. That radical encounter with God really opened me up to becoming all in with Jesus. And bro, when I experienced God's presence for real, for the first time by myself in my room, I was done. Like that's for me, that's why my whole life, one of my core values is the presence of God. Because that thing, I mean, I had heard about God. I had heard him preached. I had, you know, done some of the things you do in church. But bro, when I personally experienced him, it changed everything for me. And that's whenever I just was like, yo, I'm about to go, I'm about to just, I'm about to go ham. Because everybody, y'all out here saying y'all know God, y'all don't know him. Because if you knew him, you wouldn't be doing the junk you're doing. You know, and so, man, I just went, that message just took me to a whole nother level. Started a Bible study at our high school. Got to see more than 200 of my, you know, classmates come to know Christ over the course of about two years of running that Bible study, helping to disciple kids and, you know, doing all this while I was a student. And that's when I knew I was called to just give my life to helping people to, you know, at the time it was just helping people to love God and know God. And the context I knew to do that in was in ministry. 
So that's when I decided to go to Bible college. And, um, and man, um, that's where my journey kind of goes from there, bro. So were you doing that Bible study when, uh, you remember, I can't remember what, uh, grocery store that was that we met at and we hung out. Was that a Bible study we went to? I have like a very small memory of that. Bible study. Hey, bro. Um, uh, like Brookshire's or something. Dang, did you come to that? I don't know, man. I feel like I did. I feel like that's when we first started like hanging at, out because we yeah, went to the same church together. Yeah, well, you were at something, bro. I, I remember. We were, I know we went to, you know, assembly together, you know, at first assembly. So I know we were there together. You came to something. I don't know. But I know we went to different high schools because you were at West Monroe and I was at Washita. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you were about two years ahead of me. Um, yeah. You know, okay. So, so I'm, I'm trying to piece, piece it all together because you yeah. said you were 16. I was 19 when I joined the Marine Corps, and I think this was either right before I left or right when I came back on leave one time. Exactly. So, yeah. Man, so, that's so crazy. So, yeah, man. So that's kind of what started my journey into just be just being – I just fell in love with helping people, bro. I really did. That's so cool, man. And that, you know, for those who don't know Jamal, that is that – he's not just speaking these things. Like, this is Jamal. You know, one of the things – I'm skipping a little ahead, but I'll, I'll try to keep myself in line – you know, when I got to serve under you at uh, CFNI on the Tuesday Night Experience team, uh-huh. dude, you know, like, I'm not going to lie. You know, I used to, as a kid, I, I used to memorize a lot of verses. Uh, I had pretty good memory of them. Now, as I've gotten older, I don't. But the one that I, I have not forgotten is the one that you had us memorize, Galatians 2.20. I'm on somebody. Like, <laughs> I, I have not forgotten that one. And I just, it, it really... Um, I don't know. It, it holds a special place in my heart because you, you, you were really about helping us grow, even though you were, you were three years younger than me, yeah. you know, and I had a, you know, I had an issue with that at the beginning uh, because I had a problem with authority because I just came out of the Marine Corps. Right. But it really humbled me because I had to, you know, serve under someone younger than me, but who is leading how he should have been. And uh, you were, you really cared about all of us, every single one of us. So, man, I applaud you for that. You're, you're a great dude. So let's get to the next one. What was, what was the financial climate like in your home? Did y'all talk about money and success or was that kind of off limits? I know in my home, my dad would never talk about how much money he made. I mean, that was off limits. My mom didn't make a lot, so not much to talk about there. What was it like in your home? Man, great question. And I would definitely, you know, love the, love this question because I think we all need to dial back into when it comes to money, you know, what were we taught? What was our foundation to this day? I'm right there with you. I still don't know how much my parents made to this day. I don't know how much my parents made. I never was sat down and broken down on how bills were paid. I never knew how much the house was worth or cost. I don't know my parents' net worth to this day. I don't know anything about their financial stability or situation. They've always just been okay. We've always just been okay. We've never we've never had a financial crisis. I've never seen them like fighting over money. I've never seen them do anything that was outlandish, which is like a cause for concern um, for sure. So financial climate in our home was just hush mouth. You know, hardworking parents that provided, but there was no insight. There was no training teaching educating there was no none of those things man but at the same time it wasn't traumatic because i can ever look back at one moment where lights were off or we didn't have clothes or we didn't weren't going on vacations so we had a good upbringing my dad had a great job he worked easily 60 70 hours a week double shifts at general motors but we you know but we had a boat we had two nice vehicles that drove so overall man like the financial climate was not bad, but as a young person at the same time, whenever I became 16, 17, 18 years old, there still was never a moment my parents said, 
hey, I want to prepare you to do better than we did. I want to sit you down and show you where we've made mistakes. I want to sit you down and show you mm -hmm. how to do this better. And I do believe that that could have made a big difference in my journey, um, especially because I've been able to do so much without that. What could I have done with it? Wow. Yeah. One thing I, I think people don't realize is is uh, their upbringing and, and uh, when you, you know, parents talking about money, uh, the effect that it has later on in life, for example, when you're a kid, you know, you, you get to, you may have gotten told um, we can't afford that or say, for example, the parents were super cheap with everything. So like, you know, no vacations, nothing like that. It has later on in life, it has the effect of if your parents were like super, super cheap. Now you're spending outlandishly mm -hmm. uh, in your later years or if you were um, told, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and we can't afford that. You've taken that mm -hmm. now. Yep. into your life and into your kids life so now you're telling your kids yeah uh, we can't afford that and money doesn't grow like who do you think we are like you know yep. and it just starts to continue oh, yeah. on that that uh negative uh, belief oh, with money come on man that is so good yeah. and so true because that's all i heard money doesn't grow on trees we can't do that we can't have that and then i would see my parents go we by have a money tree in the backyard yeah it's just you hear those phrases and and like, I mean, I would definitely say, I mean, we're trying our best to curve because now that we are in a different financial state than my than I was when I was a kid, how do I train my kids up to be hard workers in an environment where they don't have to work as hard as I did to get to where I'm at today? Because they're going to have my help in getting to another level beyond me. So I think that's now the conversation that we're having. Man, we were in the grocery store just maybe a few weeks ago. And my kids are seven, eight. So they're just now getting into that, that age where they're starting to really see how the world works. And, but at the same time, that's also becoming a negative because they don't understand how the world works. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're at the store and uh, Harvest sees this, she's my oldest. She sees this watch at Walmart for $30. Her and Mel Mel come to me and they just start pleading a case for why they need this watch. I mean, they're just mm -hmm. pleading it. I mean, they're like, yo, daddy, oh my God, daddy, this watch is a smart watch. It can do this, it can do that. Oh, and then they're just freaking out. I'm like, guys, that watch is 30 bucks at Walmart. I promise you it will fall apart tomorrow. We are not getting that one. <laughs> they flip out. I mean, my, my youngest, she was like, oh, whatever. And then my oldest, I mean, literally, bro, from like the moment of being in Walmart to checking out, to being in the car, she's in full-blown, I call it manifesting, you know, in full blown, <laughs> you know, tantrum stock type moment. And so she's throwing this tantrum, everything is going crazy. And I'm like, okay, we, we're about to have a real adult conversation right now. And that's when I had to sit down and break down to her how money works. And then we, but I couldn't just give her a lecture. I then had to follow up with, okay, how do I change this? So I made a commitment to mm -hmm. her. I said, hey, so Harvest right now, what I'm gonna do to you I don't want to shut off your desire for this watch, but I do want you to understand what it's going to take for you to earn that watch. So what I gave her was a challenge. I said, I'm going to give you three months. I'm not committing to this forever, but I'm giving, I'm giving you three months. I'm going to make a list of some things that you can do to earn a dollar, you know, from reading a book, doing some chores, oh, and I'm cool. going to help you to see what it takes to earn $30. And my bet is after you've done the thing, the activities required to earn the $30, you're not going to want that watch anymore because it ain't going to be worth the amount of work you have to put in to get the $30, <laughs> right? 
So Man, we are good. right in the middle of her going through that, where right now it's basically certain books that qualify for the dollar that she has to read. My wife has made a list of different chores that they get like $5 at the end of the week. So, I mean, she's definitely in the journey of now building up. The interesting part is going to be, will she still want that watch after she has the $30? That's what I'm interested to see. So, but yeah. overall, that's the stuff that I would say, we've got to come out of just lecturing and saying money doesn't grow on trees. How do we become coaches to our kids? How do we put them in yep. the game and begin to coach them and not see them as, oh, you don't get it, you don't understand it. If they are old enough to ask the question and ask for things on the shelf, they are old enough to understand what it takes to get it and be able to say, if you want it, here's what it's gonna take. And then actually creating an environment for them to grow into that. So bro, like that's what we're doing with our kids. My wife also bought this thing where they have three different, like it's like almost like a piggy bank, but instead of just being a piggy bank, one slot has save, one slot has tithe, and one slot has income or something. It's like three different categories. So when they make the money, they have to divide it up where it's like, I think it's three different categories. It's like save, give, oh, save, give, spend. So here's the category, the play. Here's how much I can spend. Here's how much I'm going to give. And here's how much I'm going to save. So instead of just being giving them a piggy bank where they just put all their money in, start teaching them now the principle of once you make money, all of it is not yours. Immediately when you make it, you've got to divide up into categories to where it belongs. Because all yeah. that money is not That's money good. you can spend. You need to save some of it for later and some of you need to give away so you can practice generosity. So these are things that we're teaching our kids right now, bro. And so definitely want to keep thinking on that, but it's really cool to see it quick. You know, Dave Ramsey, or I'm not going to get to my Dave comments. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold it. <laughs> who is it? Who is it that, uh, Christian, tell, help me out here. Who's, who says savers are losers? Who says that? Is that Robert Kiyosaki? Yeah, he, yeah, he says that. Yeah. Okay. So what you're doing, Jamal, is so important though. Yeah. You're, you're helping them. Okay. Figure out how, so, oh man, I'm not going to say who this was. Someone in my life the other day wanted to spend X amount of dollars on, I think it was like a coffee or something, which, you know, coffee is like five, $6 now, dude, for like a small. Yes. Yeah, and great. I know this person only makes $10 an hour. I'm like, so you're literally giving away 40 minutes of your life uh, for a coffee. Yeah. Is that coffee worth it to you? Yeah. So you've got to really think about like how you value your time. And if you're, if you're making a, uh, a set wage like that, you've got to really consider like, okay, is this thousand dollar iPhone really worth a hundred hours of my life? 100%. For me, if I'm making, if I'm making $10 an hour, that's a hard no. It's not worth my time. I also like kind of what you were doing with your kids. This is so good for everyone listening right now. Jamal just dropped so many bombs, dude. Oh my goodness. Okay. So one of the things um, that Christian and I talk about a lot too is um, uh, in Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, I think it's unfair advantage or maybe how the rich are getting richer. He's got so many books that are so good, but he, he and his wife have this thing. Like if he wants a new Lamborghini or new, whatever it is, uh huh. I can't afford it. It's how can I afford it? So yes, his sir. wife asked him, well, what are you going to buy to get that? Yes, and sir. not what are you materialistically going to buy, but what asset are you going to buy that yes, can sir. cash flow enough to pay for that Lamborghini's car note? 100%. So there's, you know, like if we teach our kids, oh, we can't afford it or all those other things that you were saying, we're teaching them this, this um, poor mentality. Whereas if we can teach them, how can you, what can you, like you're saying with your kid or with uh, Harvest, what can she do? to earn the money to get that watch. How can I afford the thing that I want? Not I can't afford it or whatever, but like th letting them think outside the box of what they can do to achieve 
the thing that is that they're going for. And we, we really under, underestimate our kids. We do. Um, intelligence. You know, they, they operate at the level of genius, I think, until they're like nine or 10 years old. So up until that time frame, they literally have the ability to learn, I feel like, more than we do at their age because they're operating at such a high level. Exactly. So you you right now in your moment with her are in such a great time where you could teach her so much about money and how to handle money and things like that that she will grasp but we think they don't because they're kids 100 but they are so they are so that their brains are such sponges they can literally absorb i think anything we throw at them you know not maybe not anything but you know what i mean you know what i'm saying Nah, bro, 100%, man. I think, you know, training up your kids, I think we've just taken that scripture into just disciplining them with, you know, train up a child in the way they should go and they would not depart from it. We just think that's about Bible and going to church. And it's like, yo, there's so much more to a child's development than just infusing faith into their life. Teach them how to yeah. live. And that doesn't start when they're 15, 16, 17 by getting a job. I'm sorry. You know, don't wait until your child's no. 16 years old and start teaching them principles about money because they can now work. They can start working at seven, eight years old. I'm already, I'm already considering creating a YouTube channel for my kids because I'm like, y'all spending more time watching YouTube. Let's get out of being consumers. And let's be creators. You want to understand that all the kids y'all are watching on YouTube, they're making millions of dollars. Do y'all understand that? And they were like, what do you mean, daddy? I'm like, anytime y'all look at somebody that's got millions of views, they are making money from you watching it. Oh, okay. Yep. So daddy, we can make money. We get a YouTube channel. Yes, we can make money. Y'all want to get it. So, so this is stuff that I'm starting to ingrain in them. There are so many opportunities, bro, to jump in the game, and um, and it's our job to train them up and really get them to where um, they can be a part of it. So, man, this is a uh, I think every parent needs to dial back into what they didn't have as a child, what they weren't taught as a child, and then now say, how am I going to course correct this with my with my children so I do not follow in the same pattern that I was taught? Because yeah. we both know. That it's, if you don't have a plan, you're going to fall back into your natural nature of what you did, nat what you were raised with and what you did, whether it's good or bad, that's going to be your natural tendency. And I think, you know, you have to overcorrect it. And the only way to do that is by actually evaluating what was good and what was bad as a child. And then now how do we now do that as grownups to our kids and do it better? It's so great that you're teaching them at, at a young age, because if you look at the majority society, they don't know how to manage money very well, right? Like, Look, look at uh, when they when people were given the stimulus, I, I guarantee a majority oh of those people went and bought stuff. Oh, bro. So they were playing in the place of a consumer instead of trying to be a producer or change to be a producer because uh, they're bored or whatever at home. And then the, the money just goes to the to the producer. It goes to Amazon. Right. Amazon stock price gets higher. Right. Jeff Bezos pockets get deeper. You know, it, it just goes to the producers. And I think it all stems back to childhood just as like anything that happens in your adult life you look back at your childhood and it's all linked together 100 um, yeah but i mean you know so starting that them at a young age is so important taking out certain vocabulary words like um can't there's no can't in our Ooh, household yep. you know it's it's how can you it's good it's learning how to be creative hey, how you're to, still out, out of my playbook bro <laughs> no, I've had that for a while, man. <laughs> I, no, made... I coined that. I copyrighted it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, no, it just like, you know, it's just how to be resourceful. I think the problem with a lot of like people struggle today, you see, and, and, and it's just going to get worse as inflation goes up. Yep. The cost of living has gone up at, by $400 a month at least. 
it's almost like how how do how do people even survive if salaries are not going up um you know Mm -hmm. and so but people are not hurting enough to to learn how to be resourceful my success has come from learning how to be resourceful and creative and you know finding solutions as opposed to just complaining about problems or blaming somebody else yes exactly yes you shared this and i reshared it on instagram i'm so glad you said what you just said there are the five truths of life that you just shared from a guy named james i'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name i'll botch it number one is nothing in life is handed to you embrace hard work number two life is a mental game you determine your happiness number three control your emotions or they will control you four life is short start executing and five limits only limits exist only in your mind there are no limits you know nothing nothing in this life is handed to us you know jamal christian me we've all had to work for everything that we've gotten and we we didn't just sit there and complain man i'm not making money you know my nine to five they won't give me a raise this year i guess i'll just have to wait like no like we all went after the things that we wanted for ourselves and for our lives and we you know honestly I, i probably can speak for all of us we didn't take no for an answer like the the path that we were handed or that society hands us we're like no that's not good enough that's not good enough for me it's not good enough for my wife for my kids for the legacy that i want to leave let me create the life that i want and that my my family deserves right that, that's that is really good and one thing on that vince is uh what i've come from my experience my ethnicity a lot they like to blame the system and they like to blame being held back in society I, i've had family members tell me that even that is not an excuse. It's always going to be this case, but there's going to be other people that had, you can call it a head start, if you will. But that doesn't mean you can't catch up to them in two or three years if you put the work in. So yeah, no true. doubt. Look at you, Jamal. I mean, and Christian, too. I mean, Christian, I talk about your story probably more than I talk about my own. Probably because I don't like talking about myself. But, you know, we just talked about on the last episode with Royce or maybe the one we recorded just me and you. But like you, I mean, you put in the hard work and you catapulted yourself into Uh, where you're at now. Jamal, we're going to get to this in a a minute about your story, but you catapulted yourself into where you are. You didn't let what society supposedly says, I'm just going to say it, people of color shouldn't shouldn't be this way or they shouldn't be successful. Christian is, uh, I know, Jamal, you've not met Christian, but Christian is Hispanic. So what he's saying is, you know, you can't make it because of your skin color or whatever. But like, that's so not true. If you put your mind to it, you will literally, you can literally do anything that you wanted. So I I think that this kind of ties into uh, this next question. I think for you, how it all started was married and young. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Can you tell us about how that got started and uh, your desire to succeed at the time? Like what was driving you at the time? What kind of made all this come about? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, um, I mean, at the time we were, me and Natasha were freshly married. And um, once we got married, we had put our story on YouTube because a lot of our friends and family did not know how we met and we met on Facebook. So there was a lot of just, whoa, time out. Where did this guy come from? Where does she come from? And within that time, uh, once we did get married, put our story on YouTube, it just goes viral. Once again, we weren't doing it for creating content or trying to build an audience. Like this was very much, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because there was a period in my life, bro, where I was 100% headed towards a full-time ministry path. And once, you know, we started this blog because people were asking from the YouTube channel, Hey, what are you guys up to? What are y'all doing? And at that point, man, I just got a cool idea. Hey, let's just create a blog for married couples and 
relationship folks that just are looking to be inspired. Man, this was not strategic. It was not planned out. It was not, oh, wow, let's make money. This was not supposed to be a business. None of those things. This was straight up just a cool idea that we just went with. And, um, and man, we called it Married and Young. It was supposed to lead the guide. The goal was for it to just help, relationship, help people do relationships God's way. And I just had no idea that we literally were just doing everything the right way to begin this journey of doing online marketing or whatever you end up, you know, want to call it. But that's kind of where we got started with that concept. It was just an online blog. We invited a bunch of friends and uh, to write with us and to be a part of building it with us. And within probably about 45 days, it had about 50,000, um, you know, page views a month. And so I started off in the blogging game of just writing really wow. good content and learning how to get people's attention that way. And then within about three months, we launched our first, I wrote my first book to start monetizing. And to be honest, man, I thought I was going to be rich off this book and it definitely did not go down like that at all. And so, um, and so that's whenever we, you know, parted ways with it because we just like, this is not sustainable. You know, a good friend of mine had told me, yo, you can make a lot of money with this. And I'm like, well, I ain't seeing it. So I'm putting in a hole. Cause <laughs> once I was like persuaded that it could be a money generator, I started putting in a lot more time into it. You know what I'm saying? First, so it went from being like this passion project to now becoming a profit project. You know what I'm saying? That was, that was started with passion. But man, I just realized that there was a huge gap between being passionate about something and being proficient at what it takes to actually make it successful and not allow it to just be a hobby. And I think that's what most people don't realize when you start something off of passion, you need to evaluate what's the gap between my excitement and my ability to excel at this. And that gap is proficiency. It's the ability to do something at a level of excellence and execution and and, and just the sheer commitment to develop yourself that most people, bro, once the passion wanes or the passion gives or the passion no longer there, what's going to be left is your ability to do that thing well. Most people just give up too soon, to be honest. And, um, mm -hmm. and so that's where I was at. I was at the point where I'm like, I'm either going to keep going with this or I'm going to give it up and go back to what I know how to do. And that was basically, I knew how to do ministry. I knew how to be a pastor. So bro, I, I, I quit it and I went back to ministry. And that's when we took a job in, you know, another state, left Chicago, took a job and we were there for about nine months. And the entire time, the Lord just convicted the crap out of us. We just did not feel good <laughs> about that season. And I felt like I was just, I was chasing comfort versus chasing purpose. And I think that's what wow. we're conditioned to do as Americans. Hey, chase comfort, what's easiest, the path to easy. And, um, and bro, we were convicted that that was not the Lord's will for us. And bro, from there, man, we moved. That's where we kind of jump back. I want, I'll pause here to let you ask more questions, but that's the, the beginning journey of married and young. So it was a, it was an accident. It was really 100% it, an accident. It kind of propelled you. Man, that's so good. I'm not sure where all this ties in, but I, I, th I think I've got my timeline right. Can you tell us about the food stamp story? You know, I think I remember, uh, obviously, we're, we were friends, and I, you know, I kind of kept up with you. I think at this time, when all this happened, shoot, this was, what year was this? We were on food stamps 2015, 2016. Okay, yeah. So, I was just getting married, so my life was engulfed in being a newlywed. Yeah. So, I vaguely remember kind of what happened, but so you, 
y'all got to your lowest of lows. You were on food stamps. I, I've been there too. So you were doing a webinar yep. right as your as Harvest, your first child was being born, right? Can you tell us about that story? Like yep. how did for one, how did you get on food stamps? And then you're trying to you're trying to make it and do a webinar, which is very hard to do to get people engaged. Like I feel like there's so much here that we could unpack. Sure. I'm just gonna throw it right back to you. Yeah, so the story goes like this. Um, basically, we moved back to Chicago. I had a job lined up in Chicago. The job falls through. And at this point, my, you know, all I know how to do, bro, is ministry. Um, but I had a friend of mine who was connecting me to a job. And this job, once we got back, Natasha's pregnant with Harvest. And, um, you know, about six, seven months pregnant with Harvest. And we actually had to have a friend of ours live in the basement to help cover rent for the home. Um, like this is how much we were struggling in this season. And then once we moved back, like I said, the job falls through. Once the job fell through, bro, I had literally, my wife was not working. I was not working. And I was in between jobs, basically going from one to another. And, and at this point we had to start driving Uber. And I remember the moment that I was like, Hey, we gotta, we need, we gotta go on food stamp. <laughs> like, like I, I've ne I didn't think this was, this was, I didn't think we could hit this low. And she was wow. like, well, what do you mean, babe? I was like, babe, like I, if we don't go on food stamps, like you're not, we're not going to be able to like take care of the other responsibilities if we're still trying to pay for food and all these other things. And so, um, so bro, she goes to the state aid line and gets approved. And I remember the first time at the grocery store where she is hesitant. She's nervous to swipe the card because she's like, Hey, we don't look like we're on food. Stamps. And I'm like, babe. We may not look like we're on food stamps, but we on food stamps. <laughs> like, we on it, girl. Like, this is it. You know, let's set aside our pride, swipe that car, let's get this food, and let's keep going. That was a real moment, bro. Real moment. Because both of us grew up middle-class families, never struggling to this degree to be considered broke or be considered poor. And so... We are on that season. At the same time, I'm building my online business. So I'm working. Once I end up getting a job, my schedule looks like a nine to two. I'm working at a non-for-profit um, nine to two. I come home two to three, eat something, jump in the car and do Uber from three to nine. And then come home from nine to one o'clock in the morning working my business. That was my life for about a year. And, um, and in the timeline that we're doing that, clearly we get introduced to webinars, you know, cause I'm basically just reinvesting any money I can get back into myself to learn what I need to learn in order to get my business move, moving. So I end up learning about webinars. I remember the first time I did a webinar, I was like, yo, this is, this is lit. I can speak without having to travel and make money. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I figured out the webinar yeah. game, basically learning how to do my own Facebook ads. And yes, it basically came down to the degree, bro, that the only way I knew how to generate money was via a webinar. So once it came time for Mel Mel to be born, at this time, we've done enough money to where I'm full time in the business. But at this point, the only way for me to be able to generate enough money each month was to do a webinar. So the night that I'm on this webinar and Natasha's at home, bro. She's at home. I'm doing the webinar by myself because she's due to go into labor any minute. My mom's any day now. My mom's at home with us. And all I remember being on the webinar and I'm getting a text message and Natasha saying, babe, my water just broke. And I'm like, I'm reading oh, the text. God. I'm like, crap. 
okay. And I was like 30 minutes away from being done. And in my mind, I'm like, I got to finish this webinar because this is my paternity. Like, this is how I'm going to make enough money to take a few months, a few weeks off from doing webinars to be with Natasha and the baby. So that was when I knew I'm like, yeah, I got to figure out a different way to get this business healthy because me being at the mercy or at the slave of doing a webinar to generate enough money to pay the bills is back where I'm struggling again. So that's when we, we really jumped into another program. But bro, yes. So basically the story goes, I'm on the webinar and Natasha goes into labor. And at that point, um, my friend of mine's like, bro, we've got to go now. And I'm like, hey, everybody, Natasha's in labor. I need y'all to go buy <laughs> right now or you just want to get in. But I need y'all to jump in now. There are people that still remember that webinar. And um, oh, man, I, I, end the I wish I'd have been on that, dude. Yeah, I know. I end the webinar and literally rush to the hospital. And Natasha is in the middle of pushing. Now, this isn't our first child. This is our second one. So there was a little bit okay, of. I got it wrong. My, my apologies. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm just more saying it was the second one in regards to people being like, I can't believe you did that for your first child. Nah, my first child, I was definitely there. But for the second one, I'm like, oh, we done done this before. It ain't that great. You know? <laughs> And so, yeah, man. And so uh, I get there. I was I was there for the birth. Um, so I, I definitely saw her come out, Mel Mel come out. And yes, at that time, I ended up investing in another program to learn how to build what we now know as the One University. And that's where we went from basically going from an inconsistent three to four thousand dollars a month to literally in a matter of a month going not when I say a month, the month of launching it. We launched the One University. It took about three months to build it, launch it. And we were basically went from three to four to about twenty five thousand a month um, in about thirty days for launching that new platform. Holy cow! Was that gross or net? Um, that was gross. So I mean, twenty five thousand was top line. But at that time, bro, I was my only employee. I had no other team members. Like it was just me. Um, at that point, we weren't building a business. We just had a. We were just being entrepreneurial in regards to just generating income. After that, that's when I started hiring employees, started investing into where now you know getting a P and L. The game changes once you start having real expenses. I think when you first get started, it's all just gravy because it's all coming back to you. Um, but that's all part of the journey too of growing a business is reinvesting back in that business. That's a good nugget right there. A lot of a lot of people don't do what you just said. Yeah, they'll they'll get all that money, that extra money, and they go out and buy a Corvette or buy you know a new laptop or buy this this and that instead of using that money to like you said to reinvest into themselves in their education to get better at doing what they're doing. You yeah. Know, I think Christian has touched on this a gazillion times on our podcast. Yeah. Is they go straight to being a consumer instead of Bro. reinvesting into themselves and making themselves better. Bro. I mean, I can speak, I can preach that for the rest of my life. At the end of the day, you're not going to, and you know this, you are not going to save your way to wealth. And this is yep. what this podcast is all about. Yep. You're not going to save your way to wealth. You're going to invest your way to wealth. And in order to invest, that means that you are strategically putting your money into vehicles that are giving you a return that is higher than what you would get while it's sitting in the bank. And I think that mm -hmm. principle, the reality is most people are trained, even as entrepreneurs, when you shift from being a employee, it's like, okay, I'm shifting from working for someone else. Then you become an entrepreneur, you're just now shifting to work for yourself you still have not learned how to make your money work for you. That's not what you do when you first start as an entrepreneur. You're just basically shifting where your work is going towards, but you're not shifting the entire mindset of how do I now make my money work for me, which is a step number seven in my journey from, I have a seven step journey, seven and seven, how to go to seven figures and seven steps. And the seventh step is learning how to multiply your money, which is where I'm at right now. I've done all the seven, 
well, all the six, but now I'm in a season where I'm like, me learning how to make more money is not going to make this game any easier. It's now me learning how to invest my money to make my money work for me. I said like this, your money needs a job. Your money needs a job. It needs to have a, a job description. It needs to have a, a resume. It needs to have a plan, a purpose. Every single dollar that comes in should be able to be used to reinvest it, to grow something else, not just, and you know, you know this when it comes to, you know, this is what the podcast is all about in regards to getting to a place where your assets are paying for your lifestyle. That's literally where we're at. We're doing that right now. How do I get it to where my assets are covering our lifestyle to the degree that I'm no longer relying on my earned income to pay for us to do things. My earned income is mm -hmm. literally just used to invest into assets and then my assets pay for me to have the $8,000, you know, 8,000 square foot, 9,000 square foot house, the Range Rovers, the Lamborghinis, the exclusive vacations until I have enough earned income invested into assets that produce the ability for me to do that. I told my wife, I said, babe, we went through this, bro. Like this ain't no, oh, I wish I was disciplined. I knew this when I first started. We were generating millions of dollars a year and literally had nothing else that was an asset other than our, our business. So, I mean, overall, the reason why we're here today is because, yes, I did reinvest my money back into my business, which that is step one. So I would say, number one, it's reinvest back in yourself so you know where to reinvest. And then number two is reinvesting in a business because you're going to get a lot more higher return in a business where you are putting your uh, you know, I would say your, uh, what's the word I want to use? Your intel, your genius, your highest power of understanding. Then number three is producing it to where you can create cash flow. This is now putting it into passive income vehicles where you don't yeah. got to use any of your brain or your work to make it happen. It's just spitting you money off. The moment we bought real estate and I was able to taste, you mean this is my money every month? Without having to do nothing but just keep this thing alive. Yes, sir. My God, we're gonna make some more money so I can buy <laughs> more real estate. Lord Jesus, because I'm out here working myself to death. What? Anyway, y'all, I just preached the whole sermon. <laughs> and Jamal, I want to, I want to talk about a, a couple points. Um, so, real quick, back to touching back on food stamps. So, one thing that I wanted to differentiate is you were broke at the time, but you didn't you didn't keep that as a poor like mentality. So you differentiated no. the two. So because because poor is a mentality and broke is temporary. That's and, good, bro. You know, you just trusted God yeah. and you continued to, to put in work. And so you you broke out of that. So you dif differentiated the two and you just kept going. And that that's you know, it's okay to get help sometimes. I mean, you know, when you're at the very bottom and you need that's why they have different assistance in place friends family you name it there's nothing wrong with getting help it's that you make sure it's a temporary solution and that it doesn't enslave you to be there permanently absolutely i thank god for food stamps 100 <laughs> but yeah. i would definitely say it's because i didn't bro what you just said i gotta repeat it back because i want to make that a part of my 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 psyche of thinking i did not have a even though we were broke I didn't have a poor mindset, right? So my physical nature, not physical nature, my physical situation was very much, we were lacking in money, but we were still rich in thinking of mm -hmm. how do we get ourselves out of this, which that's why I love that concept that broke is a mentality. You know what I'm saying? It is also, it's temporary. It's something that you can change, but if you have a poor mindset, yes. you can take a poverty mindset 
you can take a poverty mindset into a season of plenty and still be poverty in your thinking, still be, you know, low, low limited in your thinking. So mm-hmm. I really love that, bro. I really love that concept that broke is, you know, is just something that is temporary right, or right. is the mindset. That's really good. When you start figuring out this game, right? So one thing I heard the other day is that the wealthy, they buy time and the, those that are not wealthy, they sell time, right? So trying to figure out mm-hmm. how am I going to buy time? Uh, you know, you can do it through, there's several different vehicles you can do it through real estate, stocks, you, you know, you, there's so much, um, and figuring out how to, from then, once you start learning how to build that, that, that asset column versus liability column, start putting in more money into your pocket. Now you figure out, then you start figuring out, all right, now, how am I going to get strategic and pay less in taxes? Because as we've talked about before, the IRS, the 5,700 pages of, of the IRS uh, rules are not written to increase taxes or anything like that. It's a playbook to decrease your taxes. So they, they do it on purpose. And so you try to you go and you figure out, all right, now how do I decrease these taxes? So, you know, you get taxed higher percentage on earned income. Now you get when you start getting into the passive uh, investment game, real estate, uh, rental, you know, monies that's taxed at a different rate. Now you're keeping more of that. So, you know, there's all these strategic ways to, uh, to go about it. But, you know, first is learning, changing from that consumer mindset to the producer mindset, uh, you know, and then going from there. I tell people all the time, every single day, you've got to wake up and say, I am a creator. I am a creator because we are just so conditioned to be consumers. And Mm -hmm. there's so much opportunity today to be able to literally get on camera and just talk every day and you could end up wealthy in 10 years. I mean, it's just, it's insane. But once again, that wealthy is just because you've learned how to generate money, but true wealth is when you've learned how to go on the other coin and turn your money into money. And I think that's the part where I'm at. A lot of folks are trying to figure out how to do that. And everybody thinks you gotta be rich to do that, man. I realize, my goodness, it is so easy today if you just got a plan know how to sacrifice which i'm sure we can talk a lot about that in regards to delayed gratification mm-hmm. because that's the other part people just don't want to delay the gratification you don't come into millions of dollars and be like i'm gonna wait to spend this you know what i'm saying but it's like yo if you wait a little bit i promise you your 10 year from now self will be like thank god you didn't spend all that money you know what i'm saying like and that's why i believe in parking your money even though real estate may not spit off crazy amounts of passive income when you park your money into those different assets, it just gives you the discipline to not go out there and spend it like you would if it was just sitting in your bank account. It's non-liquid, so it's a little harder to just be like, eh, I'm going <laughs> to sell all these pieces of real estate today and get the money <laughs> back today. Yeah, it'll take you six months, you know. But yeah, Vince, I know you're going to say something, bro. I'm sorry. Yeah, especially in this market. No, I was just going to say my my wife, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of grown her influence on Instagram. So um if any of y'all are listening from uh, her little shout out to our, our show, thank you for listening. One of the things that people had questions about was uh, kind of about how we've legally avoided paying a lot of taxes. And uh, like Christian was just talking about, like uh, the, the IRS tax code was written for business owners. It really was to incentivize business owners to create more jobs for the economy. If you want some, I mean, I talk, I think I've, I've probably mentioned these two books a gazillion times. So if, if you're, uh, one of the four listeners who we joked about in the last show who who uh, actively listened to our show. You've heard this too much if you're new. Uh, one book that I, or two books that I really love that, that helped blow my mind to the world of paying less in taxes is a book called Incorporate and Grow Rich, 
I can't remember who it's by, but if you Google it, it'll be the first thing that comes up. And then another is by Tom Wheelwright, which is Robert Kiyosaki CPA. It's called Tax-Free Wealth. Yep. Those two books right there will literally revolutionize the, well, your life and how much you pay in taxes. So much so that, and I say this jokingly, but you'll get too good at minimizing your tax burden that you'll be in a situation that I'm literally in right now where I got denied from two different lenders on a VA loan yeah. to get our house here in Tennessee, even though I'm worth seven figures. Yeah. So I had to use a different type of loan yep. to get us through till next year until I can make my 2022 taxes look pretty yep. so that I can look like I actually make money. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, you know, it. like there's good and bad with it. I didn't plan for it. I didn't know we were going to be moving to Tennessee in the middle of 2022. So right. that's my oops. But here's another thing, like I was talking at the very beginning, I didn't take no for an answer. I think any person would have been like, not uh, any person, most people would have been like, oh, well, we didn't get the VA loan. I guess we'll just, we'll just rent right now. I, bro, in my mind, like, excuse my French, but it was like, hell no. Yeah. I'm not, we're not, th we found a house that we want that is so perfect for our current situation. I was like, how can I make it work? So I literally went through all the things, you know, it helps that I'm a real estate investor. So I knew a lender who offers a thing called a bridge loan, which is just a short term loan one year. And, uh, you know, we just talked about this before we went live, but I got literally final approval on, on it an hour ago because I didn't say I didn't accept the nose. That's you cool. know, so that another thing that we we talked about on the show millions of times is the mindset. You know, yeah. I think the mindset of a winner, honestly, is just is not accepting no. And sure, there's going to be some maybe few no's that you have to accept. But for the most part, I really feel like no is just not something that I accept. I mean, mm -hmm. my whole life, my mom said I could argue with a wall. And I probably literally could argue with the wall and I would win. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I think just winners just don't accept. They don't accept normal. They don't accept no's. Yeah. And we just, we go for the things that, that we want to go for. Christian, I'm going to kick it back to you so we can finish this and, and uh, respect Jamal's time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jamal, uh, what would you say are some of your keys to success, you know, launching your, you know, now eight figure online business? Um, what are some things that have helped you, you know, be able to catapult that? I mean, my first thing first is, um, you know, number one is just, just ultra transparency with yourself and with those around you that are, you know, working with you, helping you spouses, friends, the one thing you don't want to get caught in. I'm, I, you know, being a believer, I do believe the enemy um, does not want to see you succeed. Um, he does not want to see you be successful. And most importantly, he does not want to see you become significant. And those are three different things, you know? And so I do believe that there are, um, you know, succeeding is in the present. Successful is something that is ongoing and stabilized and that is secure. And then significant is where you're now living a legacy. And I think understanding the difference between those three, the enemy is going to attack you at every level of you trying to be to succeed at something, you're trying to be successful and you're trying to be significant. So my first thing first to guard against ego, to guard against pride, to guard against um, weaknesses, to guard against anything stopping you in your journey from being successful, you've got to be transparent. I mean, just stay transparent, no secrets, no, no holding nothing back, no holding things from your spouse. Like that is my number one key. 
you've got to be transparent. And with your journey, with your faults, with your moments, your learnings, your discoveries, the Bible says it, what is a, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? The only way to do that is to confess when you're falling short, run to God every time. Because this journey, I promise you, money does not solve all problems. Money only solves money problems. So the moment you get money, I promise you, everything you've neglected in the time of you pursuing that money will be revealed. And this is why people lose themselves after getting money because they realize they've got money. They've made a living. They didn't make a life. And that will be my number one thing to, to protect you in that journey because you're not going to start off prideful. You're not going to start off egotistical. You're not going to start off, you know, uh, judgmental. You're not going to start off, you know, all those different things. They are exposed after you get money. It was in there, but it just you had to be all these other mm -hmm. things in order to make the money. Yeah. And so, so that's my piece number one. It, that stuff, you'd be ready for all that stuff to be revealed. And as that stuff starts coming out, you know, you see, I'm really passionate about that one. All right, number two uh, is definitely keys to success is team. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it by yourself. Um, as you're building your business, growing your business, you've got to double down on finding key people who believe in your vision, you becoming an amazing communicator of vision, being an amazing communicator of something that you're trying to do that's bigger than you. When we first started, the mission that made people want to write for us for free, speak to speak for us for free, coach me for free, was because when I said right now, me and my wife are trying to decrease the divorce rate in the world by helping singles prepare for marriage because we want to get them before they say I do. The moment they heard that mission, that wasn't just some cool idea or us trying to make more money for ourselves. We had a mission that truly connected to a way that we could make this world a better place. So when we shared that mission and we communicated it, it made other people want to be a part of it or help us to solve it because they were like, oh my gosh, I experienced divorce. Oh my gosh, my great, my, my grandparents or my, my aunt and my uncle, I came from this. And it, it connects personally. So find in your findings of you trying to be successful, you've got to get a mission that serves something more than you just making money or paying your bills. How do you get something that's bigger than you that will draw people in to want to be a part? The mission we have now is I am after pastoring the internet. That's the mission. I want to help the internet live extraordinary lives. And I'm gathering people around this mission of, yo, there are a lot of people who truly don't know how to live the abundant life that Christ called them to have, to live. And we're doing that. And we're going forth into this mission of building God a machine. Because that's what the Lord said to me, Jamal, I want you to build me a machine because the next great harvest is going to be on the internet. So when I share that, bro, my team, they're like, yo, I knew God was calling me something big, but to now be a part of building God a machine on the internet, so now it's so selfless. So that's number two. You need to have a team. And you need to have a mission that brings your team in and you need to know how to delegate and know how to trans, uh, how to delegate and transition from different levels and different roles. Um, and then number three, um, I would definitely say another key to success is gonna be the, the ability and the skill of managing the tension of what you believe you are supposed to do today and what you're supposed to do tomorrow. Like the tension between those two things are so real of, yo, I know I need to do this today, which is the stuff in the present, but how do I ensure that the stuff I'm doing today 
in, is preparing me for a better tomorrow. And so constantly the tension between the present and the future, your ability to manage those two are going to require all of you. So it's consistently being disciplined in the ability to list out the things you need to do for today, but be okay that some of the things you do today, you're not going to see immediate return on. You're not going to see an immediate uh, blow up of success. If it takes five years, 10 years, what you're seeing is every single day, how am I planting seeds for the future? My goodness, man, because it's so easy when you're struggling or when you're in a survival season that you're only looking at just trying to make it to tomorrow versus setting yourself up to succeed tomorrow. So how do you balance the tension between planting seeds for the future while also tending to the responsibilities and the requirements that you got to do today? And so that's my three tips, bro, that I would give if anybody's trying to be successful. Um, there you go. And one thing I like about that, it really sounds like, you know, you, you, you focus on living intentionally and, you know, it's been one of my focuses here, here lately, you know, I believe everyone is called, you know, to make a difference in the world, uh, impact people or places, you know, when you're going through the journey of your life and you know, what, what intentional living uh, means is to be able to step out of your comfort zone and stepping into a life that, you know, chooses to follow God's purpose. And I think that, you know, your story has, you know, clearly illustrated that and you, even your steps. I mean, one of the things that I think is extremely important with building a business and, and following your purpose is to, and, and you said it a little earlier, along with communication is, you know, being very detailed with, with things. Um, it, it, it goes into that, that three-step process that you mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, I mean, intentional living is extremely important. It sounds like you, you're right on it, man. Thanks, bro. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> oh, and then one thing you said earlier too, was, you know, when you're talking about, about what happens to, to someone when they start to build a bunch of wealth and there's, you know, this one, it's a saying that it, it goes, you know, whatever you had in your heart before getting rich, it's just going to be mm, amplified, yep. uh, yep. as you continue to grow more and more money. 100%. And I think that's the stuff that we don't expect or prepare for. And we don't know how to handle it. And that's why I'm saying if you can learn how to be transparent in the beginning of your journey, then being transparent when stuff starts flying off the hinges, and you start making some crazy decisions, and you're like, I don't know who the person is that I'm being, oh my gosh, you've already learned how to be transparent and how to tell on yourself. And I think, um, because what it is that when you begin to grow in levels of influence, power, prestige, you try to protect how people view you because you're trying to protect an image. And I get it. We all got to do it. When you're in the spotlight, when you have a platform, you got to protect your image. But at the same time, you better have some folks that you ain't trying to protect the image with that can help you protect it before it gets That's exposed good. who you really are. And at the end of the day, deep down, we all are jacked up deprived, depraved individuals who have a flesh, who have things that are working against us. And we've got to know how to uh, manage those things before they cause us to do something that jeopardizes our integrity, our character, our influence, our power. Every day people are in the news and the media and 80% of the stuff that's being called out is because you had a private war that you did not learn how to involve other people in that became a public yeah. war. Man, that's so true. There's, you know, obviously if you've got a pulse, you've seen a couple of the, you know, unfortunately pastors who've kind of had some of their secret lives exposed. And if, you know, obviously I, I can't speak to those people uh, individually, but 
you know, I wondered, did they have a kind of a kind of what you're saying, people that you could be absolutely raw with who you didn't have to protect your image with? Did they have people that were that they were accountable to? They could say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Help me. out." I think especially as you get some type of status, like obviously you need that in your life period. You need someone that you can go to like, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. But especially as you get this image or this, you know, like, like I said, status, I think you should be more intentional with with having, you know, maybe maybe say it was y'all too. I could come to Jamal or Christian when I'm struggling with whatever it is. And y'all can help me reel that thing back before it gets exposed. And then I ruin my image and then no one listens to me anymore. Exactly. exactly. And I'll say, you know, if you can find that person earlier, uh, sooner than later, and you can have complete trust with them, because as you start to build this this image later on, it, it's a um, that person might deal with, the struggles of someone else that tries to get close and doesn't realize that they're not there for their best interests, uh, jealousy and envy and all that kind of stuff that, that brews with, uh, that higher status type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so that just be mindful of that and make sure you really trust the person. And yep, I'm right there with you. I agree. You know, what steps did you take to ensure you're still being a good husband and father while you're scaling a multi-million dollar company? I would definitely tell you, I mean, I'm talking more from what I failed to do than what I did do well. Number one, it is playing to your strengths and not allowing, when I say playing to your strengths, like I am a person that's very driven, ambitious, goal-oriented. And I think one of the things I wish I would have done better sooner, my kids are seven, eight, so I still have a lot of time, clearly. But I wish I would have done better was setting better goals for my family. I think in the beginning, I was just so goal oriented around the business and it was like, yo, but once the business is good, it'll make family easier. And so my big tip or big encouragement to those out there that are listening that are running a family is the same way your your business needs a CEO. And let's break that down. Your business needs a, a chief executive officer who's responsible for number one, vision. Number two, culture, setting the tone of how we're going to operate, how we're going to create a feel and a vibe that we do as a business as a company and making sure you have core values and standards of how you operate. Number three, we're going to also now figure out what it's going to take for us to have um, plans and productivity and daily, you know, what are we doing every day, every month, every quarter, every, you know, what are, what our meetings look like? This is, these are all the things that your responsibility as a CEO is. Number four, how do we now protect against our market share in regards to our value, what we produce as a business, your job as a CEO is to look out and see what are all the things that could cause us to fail, to cause us to be at a demise, to not be able to make it from whether that's, you know, competitors, whether it's money, whether it's management, whatever it is, right? So now take some of those key principles of what it takes to run a company, apply that to your family. Are you doing those things? Are you putting in place vision for your family? Are you establishing culture and core values for your family to run after? Are you looking at what what are the competitors against your family in regards to time, in regards to decisions being made? Are you planning out events, date nights with your wife? Are you planning out times with your kids? Are you setting in tone family meetings to catch up and hear what's going on in your your kids' lives? Are you set like these are all the things that you need to do that you're already probably doing. If you're running a successful company or if you desire to run a successful company, those things you have to do. So put those things in place for your family. That's probably been my biggest failure that I didn't do that sooner, but that I do now that I'm like, yo, this makes all the difference and has protected my wife, 
protected what God is doing with my kids because I'm not just a participant in my family. I am the leader yes. of my family. And bro, like, and I'm not just a procreator and I'm not out here just having kids just to have kids and just making sure that they have a, and here's the other part. I'm not just a provider for my kids. And so I think that's the thing that, you know, your kids need more than anything. They need more mm. than just food on the table and clothes on the back. They really do need leadership. That's so good. I think our parents or maybe their parents, that generation thought that the man was just supposed to make the money. He would go to the job, make the money, come home, and he could veg out and watch TV. You know, like, and they thought, oh, I'm providing for my family, so I'm being a good dad. But that's not the case. Like, our, I can speak to, for my kids specifically. My kids want all of my attention, and they want it all the time. <laughs> you know, like, jokingly, sometimes it's kind of annoying. But at the same time, like, yeah. I appreciate that they have that relationship with me that I've, you know, the life I've created has allowed me to be with them probably like 90% of the time. Um, but that's what our kids and our wife need. Like you touched on date nights with your wife, and I think you said kids too, but I made it, uh, at least in, in our family, I made it a point not to just take my wife on dates, but to take my kids on dates. So I call my daughter, obviously, is called a daddy-daughter date. That's a pretty easy term. But like my son, who's three, I call it a daddy bro date. So I, I take him yeah. on a date too. You know, I pursue his heart because he's he's a little boy. Like we think, I think there's a stigma around boys are supposed to be tough and hard and they can't have emotions and feelings. Dude, that's such BS. My little boy is so sweet and needs the same amount of attention my daughter needs. So he needs the dates too. Mm -hmm. He needs He needs the love. He needs the affection. And so in our house... You know, I've only done this actually two times in the last year, you know, so I'm not preaching like I've got it all, you know, laid down pat or whatever. But we do I do date nights with my wife and I do date nights with my kids too to pursue them as well, to not only be just the man who makes the money to keep things rolling. Yeah. But I also pursue their hearts, too. So not only one can my daughter know how she should be treated when a man finally pursues her heart when she's 40, when I allow it jokingly. But also how my son can know how to be a good husband and to be a good father good. when it's his time. You know, like these are things yes, that, sir. you know, I, I hate to say this, but whatever. But I didn't get taught when I was a kid. These are not things that that I was shown. But like you said earlier, these are things that I wish I would have been shown. So now I'm showing my kids yeah. those things and I'm putting that exactly. in, into their field of view so that this is their norm so when they grow up and they become my daughter when she becomes a, a wife and a mother and my son becomes a father like and a husband they so i'm setting a bar i want them to go even higher than that you know i'm, I'm mm -hmm. trying to change generational uh miscues of of how really the family has operated no yeah it just goes back to being intentional right uh it's so easy to it could be easy to give your child um, uh, your phone to watch YouTube on or whatever, uh, just because it's quote unquote convenient or whatever, or, or you can make the decision to be intentional uh, with family, um, yes, yourself, uh, your, your, your business journey, your spirit journey, whatever, just that being intentional is extremely key. Yes, I totally agree. It's it. And it, it's so much, you know, it's so much harder than said. That's why you have to be exactly. held accountable. Yeah. You got to get around people who, yeah, they do this as a norm. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is stuff that's just normal for me and my close friends that we check in on each other. Hey, bro, 
you know, when is the last, I mean, we just get real with one another, like for real, for real. That's how it should you be. You know what I'm saying? When's the last time you and your wife got into a fight? When, how long has it been since y'all have had a good sex night? When's the last time, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we're talking good, good, not a quickie, like really where you were <laughs> intentional to hurt me. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just get really vulnerable and real that's with great. each other. And that's what I'm telling you, man. Like, I practice that stuff because, you know, if you don't have a group of friends that you can really dial in, because I'm sorry, that's, you know, women may not like, may not talk like that, but that means a lot to a man, you know what I'm saying, in regards to, you know, you paying attention to your wife's needs beyond just getting what you want from it and you being able to pay attention. Because if she isn't giving you any, then there's a sign there that there's a breach, there's a break in between y'all's relationship. Or if you're yeah. not going in for it, what's going on? How are you getting your pleasure met? Where does it happen? Is it porn? Is it another woman? Is it, see what I'm saying? Like, so like, these are the things that dive in because bro, that stuff will eat you alive if you don't have a safe place to be, and then the fact that I know I have brothers that are willing to come at me with those level of questions, it makes me think twice to even do something crazy mm. when the moment comes. Cause I'm like, yo, all right, they're going to ask, let me go ahead and back away from this. So that's the stuff, yep. man. Like in that same thing, being intentional with the kids, they, we check in on each other. Like, yo, when's the last time you went out with the girls? How's, you know, with your, with my little girl, I have three girls. So it's just, bro, like, who are those people that truly do care about the person that you are and not just caring about your platform, your success, and you can't do that at a quantity level. That's done at a quality yes. level. You know, and the brother that I have is taken literally over a decade for us to develop that level of trust with one another. People always ask me, man, like, how do you get a best friend? Be the friend that you desire to have. I love that. That's the way you get a friend. You know, and it's not going to happen tomorrow in five days, in five months. It's literally going to take years to develop that level of relationship with somebody. And you just got to be able to learn how to be committed through it. Because I believe I believe friendship is the is the preparation ground for a successful marriage. The reason why I believe so many marriages are failing is because we don't know how to be good friends. And I think we go into marriage expecting this lover to be different than our friend. When I'm like, yo, you really expect that you are a horrible friend that you now are going to just be an amazing <laughs> spouse when mm -hmm. it requires literally no commitment outside of a phone call, maybe once a week. When you get married, you're literally living with this person, you're sleeping with this person, you're paying bills with this person. If you can't commit to that person, Jesus Christ, like. Like if you can't commit to a friend, how are you going to commit to a spouse? So anyway, y'all get into a whole nother tangent right now. But uh, no, but no, man, that's like that's, that, that's the stuff that I believe protects you as an entrepreneur is you building a life worth living. Mm, I love that. And like you said, it's it's quality friendships over quantity friendships. You know, I think when we're when we're kids or teenagers, we want to have all the friends in the world. But then as you get older, you realize like doesn't matter how many friends you have. I want quality friends. One of the things that I am pursuing at this stage in life, I just turned 36 yesterday, is just quality friendships. I don't need a lot of friends. I don't want a lot of friends. I don't have the mental capacity for a lot of friends. I just want maybe five or six quality, for maybe 10, because if you count their wives, <laughs> but I want quality friends who can be real, you know, like um, who I can come to with with some hard stuff, like you were saying, who can ask me those hard questions. So <clears throat> anyway, man, sorry, that's a little tangent. So let me let me keep us going. So you just turned 33 in September, right? Yes, sir. Looking back 10, 12 years ago in your early 20s, what would you tell yourself as a young 20, you know, 21, 23 year old? What would you tell yourself? Yeah, man, I would say, um, yo, bro, uh, 10, I mean, this is me, season of life where I know I'm dreaming big, I'm ambitious. Um, you know, I would definitely say, uh, I would say 
get super clear on the skills on the get super clear on three skills that you know are going to be extremely valuable to you in 10, 15, 20 years and create a plan on how to master those things. Get people around you who can critique you, get as many books, get as many lessons, more many courses, whatever you gotta do to master those skills as much as fast as you can, double down and get super clear on those skills. I would say that. Number two, I would definitely say, do not allow what people think to stop you from doing things um, that don't, people that you don't allow their opinion uh, to determine your direction. Now, there are certain people that you have allowed in your life that you do believe they've been called to give you support and direction. But if that person is not one of those people, do not allow them to sway you into towards a certain direction because you care about what they think. Um, you know, that's another big one there. Number three, I would definitely say, um, you, I would say, you know, probably um, another one would be uh, don't wait until you think you're ready to start investing in assets. I would start learning the small game immediately, um, you know, and just doing little small things here and there um, just to start building up the, the skill set of recognizing good deals and good opportunities and just start kind of taking more risk a lot sooner um, versus kind of waiting until the right time to do certain things. That's good. What legacy are you wanting to leave behind? You know, when you die, you know, I won't say like, what do you want on your gravestone, but what do you want people to say about Jamal Miller? Yeah, man, that dude gave it all he had. Um, I think I would love to follow with the legacy of being someone that modeled um, extreme, it's not even generosity. I think it's beyond generosity. It's extreme squeezing. Like I want to be the model and example of what it means to be poured out to where literally this man did so much in so little time and he made every single moment count. And um, that's the legacy I want to live, man. I want to live a life poured out. I want to live a life where I literally died empty that no one can say, I believe he has so much more left in him. I want to be able to look at my life and say, yo, I got nothing left. I've built companies. I've now become a great, 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 great grandfather. I'm whatever, you know, whatever. I've now been able to, you know, give away millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Like I want my life to matter beyond me. And um, for people to, you know, for me to live, I think, you know what, bro? I think I would love to leave a legacy of a better way of living in regards to Christ-like living and doing it for a modern world. And so there you go. I love that. That's so good. So what advice would you give someone who's just getting started? Uh, you know, if maybe they have an idea, but are not sure where to begin. What, what would Jamal say? Yeah, so um, if you have an idea, um, my first things first is to um, build an audience around that idea. Um, you know, so whatever it is, whoever you feel like it's for, I would just jump on camera and start talking about it. Um, and start building a story around this idea. Um, that's how we were able to do it. We really did not hold back or think we've got to keep this in the closet or we've got to, you know, nah, man, like bring as many people as you can along the journey. And some of those people may be your first customers. Some may be your first supporters, first investors, first encouragers, whatever they are, the Lord's placed them as that initial group of people to help you be successful but they won't be able to be that or do that if you don't get out front and start talking about what you have in your heart to do. 
number three, number two, um, after you've been able to build an audience around it, I would then now see if you can now get some customers. Who are some of your first believers who will open their wallets to begin to be transformed by your idea? Who are your first adopters? Who are your first people that you would say, yo, these people believe in me and they believe in me enough to pay me money to help them do the thing that I believe I'm supposed to do? Um, who are those people? And then number three, once you've been able to get your first set of customers, I would then begin to move into how do you now um, begin to move into a place where you go from one to one to one to many, where you begin to invite other people into a group coaching program, selling it at scale. And then from there, turn that into a business, hire people, re-outsource different roles, responsibilities, and now begin to scale it. And so um, that's what I would tell you if I was just getting started. I love it. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, favorite book on business or wealth you've read? Favorite book on business depends. I would give it three different journeys or phases. Phase one, for the startup, the starting entrepreneur, you've got to begin to get the right mindset. And we already know the best mindset book on entrepreneurship, building your business, wealth, money is going to be rich dad, poor dad. That yes, sir. Gives you mindset shift that you need to be able to shift into wealthy thinking. Um, number two, when it comes to building a business, I would say scaling up is the next go-to that I would have in regards to that journey of just building a successful company, would be scaling up. And then number three, um, this is a book by a good friend of mine. This book gives you, I believe, the, the holy grail of making your money make money. It's called The Lifestyle Investor by Justin Donald. So those are three books that I would recommend you go get immediately and make a part of your library. And that scaling up, I believe, is by Vern Harnish. Yes, sir. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, that's the one that that everyone talks about. But like Christian said on either the one with Royce or the one before that that we recorded, there's a reason why all of the successful and or wealthy people say the same books or recommend the same books is because it's changed so many people's lives. And we all know Rich Dad, Poor Dad is probably like the key book. I think of any successful person. I mean, it, it's the game changer for anyone and everyone. So if you're new here to this podcast, if this is your first time listening and you've not heard us talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, you have to read that book as soon as you stop listening to this. I mean, it is, it is pivotal to any entrepreneur's journey, any business owner's journey, any person's journey. You don't want to work the nine to five. You hate working for the man. You hate making $10 an hour. Read this book. I mean, there's no, there's no other way around it. Like this is the book. So, um, or at least understand the difference between assets and liabilities, which what, yeah. that's what the book will teach you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then he goes, I mean, doesn't he have another book called the uh, cash flow quadrant, right? It kind of goes yeah, more on that. It talks about the different. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a whole nother beast too. I mean, uh, so cash flow quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, that's, uh, another book you should listen or you should listen to or read. Or uh, how the rich get richer. I think that's by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Unfair advantage. I have a, I have a, a list of like fifty books that are on my personal list. If anyone wants it, just reach out to me, and I'll send it to you. What's your Instagram handle? For those listening. Uh, I I don't know. Hang I on. think it's, it's Christian Mercado one. Right? Is that right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I should probably know that, but yeah, you might, you might be, might that's be. more like my private page. It's for, yeah, that's why I keep it that way. But, but no, you know, reach out to me. 
I'm not that hard to find. Uh, you type my name in, you'll find me. I'll, I'll get the list to you somehow or some way. Yeah. And uh, Jamal is, uh, Jamal, you're just Jamal Miller on Instagram, right? Yes, sir. Awesome. So if, if you don't know Jamal, I mean, I know this 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 episode uh, should give you a great uh, kind of 30,000 foot view of Jamal, but um, follow him on Instagram. He's always posting amazing stuff. Just here recently, you started doing the thing. Uh, I think I think these are reels. I'm not real big on Instagram anymore, so forgive me if I'm <laughs> botching this. But I think you do these reels where it's it's your uh, your name scrolls down like a gazillion times, right? And then you do this little short lesson, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. These are so good. Like this is free content that you're getting from a multimillionaire. If you're if you're not following Jamal right now, or even Christian, you need to. Jamal, I just followed you. Thanks, bro. <laughs> nice. You listen to my advice. Uh. <laughs> anyway, it's just it's just free content. Like Christian said a couple episodes ago, uh, there's so much free content out there from from very wealthy and successful people. You know, Jamal Miller, yep. Christian, uh, Ed Milet, Andy Frisella, Gary V, Sean Whalen. Um, what's the guy, uh, Stu, what's the guy that did the, uh, course, Jamal, that I took? That you, uh, Stu McLaren? Yeah, Stu McLaren. Like, all these people, there's so much free content out there. Again, going back to the very beginning of the show, you have free. no excuse not to free. succeed. It's just how bad do you want it? If you want it bad enough, you're going to make it. Any closing thoughts? I know I've no, man, it's been, oh, this has been super good. Pray that everybody listening in can take this to heart. Go after your dreams. I believe the goal is to dream big, start small. Don't get overwhelmed whenever you dream something so big. It's probably the right thing, but now you got to just take the time to break it down into some pieces and create a plan and go after it. So that's my encouragement. Dream big, start small. Let's go. I love it. Jamal, thank you so much for being on the show. It is such a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you for your time. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. Peace out, everybody. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended. But be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.